Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 108, episode 108. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we had a heck of a turnout at the Shrimp Bowl last week down in Midland. Uh, I had a great time, man. I know. You actually even had some folks there to see you. That was probably the most surprising thing of the night, that folks came out to see Josh. So, I mean, it was like two people, but still, um, it was good to see that your fans are still out there and excited to see you. So I was excited about that. We, you know, we had, what, we had like 110, I think, Josh, was the final count? We cracked 100 for sure. We cracked 100, and we only had 100 tickets, so it was a sellout plus, which was good. So thank you. Everyone who came out, and I was thinking about that this morning, Josh, we talked about doing one in Midland and, and one in Houston, and, um, you know, the Midland folks reached out and said, hey, if you want, you know, if you guys come out here, we'll help you, so if our Houston guys reach out, obviously we're thinking maybe September, October, something like that, you know, maybe something like that, we might go down to Houston and do one. Um, anyway, so if our Houston listeners are interested in that, you can reach out to Josh or myself, and we can start looking at that and putting that together, but, um, but yeah, man, it was great. Got to meet some listeners privately also as well, so that was fun. Um, you know, it was, um, and we got to give Nate credit. Nate actually, you know, he organized. We told people, told people that everyone there was confident on how well it went and the food stuff. That was all Nate, so we give Nate a hard time on here, but every now and then he does something right, and so we've got to give him an attaboy. So, no, Nate did a great job setting it up and uh, making sure everything ran smoothly, so... Um, it was really good, man. Really, really good. I, I, um, I didn't expect it to go that well, to be honest with you. Yeah, I didn't expect uh, 110 people to show up. I think the the day before we were we were thinking 80. You know, just be safe with food. Probably be a good number. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I usually had to pay people to come hang out with me, and so it was kind of kind of <laughs> a role reversal there to have people come and uh, come and hang out with us. So that was. That was fun, but seriously, thank you to everyone who came out. Really had a uh, had a great time, and hope you did too. And we, we, if we didn't get to speak to you, and you were there. We're sorry. I know Josh and I made a our best effort to work the room pretty hard and to see everyone. And um, so, if we didn't for some reason, uh, our sincerest apologies. We did our did our best, and so um, hope we got to see everyone who came out there. And Josh, um, speaking of going out. So we're just a few weeks away from the last Baff and Bay trip, uh, which is our sponsor, obviously, BaffinBayRodAndGun.com. Be heading out two weeks from Friday. So if you hadn't signed up, I think we got a spot or two left on the boat. TexasOilGasPodcast.com slash fishing. TexasOilGasPodcast.com slash fishing. We'll be heading out on the 28th, fishing on the 29th. I know we've got a few folks, I think, on there, but uh, Josh won't be going, so we have an extra spot on the boat this time. And that was something else that, that surprised me, Josh. Because we were off on Labor Day, uh, Memorial Day rather, and then we released the podcast two days before, a lot of people hadn't heard it, so they got to come up and ask how the fishing results were, and that was really enjoyable to relive, um, you know, relive what happened on on the fishing trip. And so I got to show my picture. You didn't have any pictures, so that was that was quite enjoyable as well. <laughs> that was a strategic setup there. I think that was intentional. Well, uh, Ryan, there's a few things that came out this week. Um, you know, obviously there's been a Texas gas glut, uh, pipeline deficiencies where they've been trying to figure out ways to get gas transported from one place to another. So 
An article came out this week where uh, they may have found a at least a short-term solution. I know this has been headed, headed up by EOG, uh, but at least five other producers are exper- experimenting with shooting highly pressurized natural gas into their past their prime wells. Uh, and they're seeing a 25% increase in oil production from doing this. And it's also given them a place where they can store their gas and possibly recover it later. So um, interesting article here, man. I, I haven't heard anything about this that I, that I can recall offhand. Right. Well, we, it seems like every week we, we have a story on what to do with natural gas. You know, we had one, what, two or three weeks ago where they were trying to cycle it back into the rigs. And yep. everyone's trying to figure out something to do with it. And to be honest with you, I'm excited to see this because while we have a lot of natural gas, you know, and, and it feels like there's natural gas for days, if we can save it and not get rid of it, that would be optimal instead of, you know, flaring it off and then it's 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 useless. So um, I think when we look at, we talk a lot about you know, the free market, you know, government regulation and kind of comparing those two things. This is partly, obviously you have some government regulation involved here, but partly the free market trying to figure out how do we maximize our profit? And one of the things that you could do directly is if this works out is that you could put the gas back to work, um, which would increase the production on your well, as you mentioned. And so then you save the gas, which means you could go back and get it later and you've increased it. So you've actually increased your, your bottom line for your shareholder. So, you know, and we've got a couple of stories like this today, Josh, where there's ideas that are floating out there and they're, and they're testing them, trying them. One of the things that we like to talk about on the show is that part of being, you know, everyone everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. That's kind of the big thing right now. But part of being a a company or an entrepreneur is you've got to try things. And sometimes you try those things and they work and sometimes they don't work. And so I think as long as EOG has the capital and these other companies have the capital to risk this and it's not going to put their shareholders shareholders at stake, I think it's a a good thing for them to do. Um, And will it work or not? Ultimately, I don't know, but these are the type of stories we want to see. Same thing we said with the um, the electric, using the gas to power the, the, the fracking rig a few weeks ago. Not sure if it'll work or not, but it's, it's what we want to see. We want to see these stories come out because as these ideas are tried and tested, um, either A, the original idea might, might be so bad that it just doesn't work and it goes away completely, or someone else might see what they did and go, you know what, they did this wrong. If they were to modify this, then it would work. So it's just part of the market working itself out, and it's, it's good because in this case you actually um, – might increase the oil production and save your natural gas, which you can come out and get later. Yep, and what they're calling it is secondary recovery, and uh, they're saying that they're they're not close to having it, you know, optimized yet. Uh, they said EOG has been doing this since 2016, but uh, they they're working on possibly if it doesn't cause any issues, that's going to be the thing. Uh, what kind of issues, formation issues is it going to cause? And I also want to clarify, Ryan, on some of the numbers that I gave a minute ago, go back up here to the top. It says that it increases oil output in the older wells 30 right. to 70%. Right, and which that, is a wild swing. But still. Yeah. yeah. But still, it's uh, a 30%, 70% increase, and you're keeping you the natural gas. Yeah. 30% increase, if it doesn't, I mean, how much does it cost to get the oil, the gas from the ground to that to that right. well? Right. So, and if 30% takes care of it, then it's definitely a, a good right. thing to do. Obviously, there's some math and stuff that you're pointing out that we'd have to figure out and sit down and scratch the paper, put the pen and paper to figure out. But it is a potential idea um, and a solution that, 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 that could be it. Another thing I'd, I'd be curious, Josh, is is why is it 30 to 70%? Is it rock formation? Is it something, you know, so as this process goes along, 
EOG or these other companies might be able to sit back and go, you know what, these type of um, older wells perform better because of these four factors. And so we're going to pump the natural gas back in these, whereas these types don't perform as well. So therefore, we're going to, you know, we're not going to put the put the gas back in there. It could be something like that, or it could just be more randomized. I, I, I think that's something else we need to, fi- to figure out on this to, um, as the story progresses. Certainly. I'm sure it, it does cost money to get the gas from point A to point B, so it needs to have a, a good, pretty good upside. So our good friend Sergio Chapa, he released uh, a drilling down article this morning, actually. Uh, Sprawberry play heats up in West Texas, and uh, there's lots of good information. If you get a chance, you really need to go check out the article. A uh, lot of good stuff in it. The one thing that I saw in here was in, on the Texas side of the Permian Basin, there's been uh, several companies that have been drilling pretty uh, actively. On the list, number one was Endeavor Energy Resources. They filed for 22 drilling permits over the last week. Midland Oil Company, Diamondback, 16. And then Birch Operations filed for 15. So three busy companies on the Texas side of the Permian, uh, you know, in the Midland Basin. And, uh, you know, there's several other ones, Eagleford. I mean, the the information here is fantastic, really. It's good, and Josh, I'll be honest with you, it's good to see that Sergio's working again. I know me and you last week <laughs> were man of the people. We were out there in Midland on the ground with the with the common folk. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not because you were working really hard like I was. Um, but, you know, Sergio apparently was, you know, having cigars and fine wine with Rex Tillerson, um, former Secretary of State and uh, CEO of ExxonMobil. So it's good to see that he's back at work. He's actually putting out useful material now. He's not rubbing elbows with the one percent. Um, you know, it's it's you know, it's really kind of sad, Josh. To be honest with you, because Sergio was a man of the people back at back at uh, that old publication, well, the San Antonio Business Journal. Now he's at the Chronicle. He's he's a one percenter now. So um, it's good to see he drops us a bone every now and then. Thank you, thank you, Sergio, for scrounging together this article for us. We appreciate it. Rex Tillerson, man, that's pretty nice. I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, you, we wonder why it's so hard to book the man on our show, and it's well, he's hanging out with Rex, and so, I mean, that's, pretty soon that's, he'll have the ear of the president, like a uh, pretty renowned podcast. I yeah. know, uh, <laughs> well, that's what I've tried to I've tried to explain to do. It's obvious that Trump listens to this thing, but what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, he, I mean, Trump listening, I guess, isn't the same as hanging out with Trump. And so for Sergio, he's a one percenter now. So uh, congrats, Sergio, on being with the elite. Um, just call in from your yacht next time. We'd uh, we'd appreciate that. Well, there's two uh, two little mentions in here I wanted to hit before we move on, Ryan. Eagle for Shell, San Antonio Oil Company, Gulf Tex Energy is preparing for a heavy round of drilling on its Wyatrek unit lease in Carnes County. So, uh, pretty pretty interesting piece of news there. And uh, and then Haynesville, Louisiana Ex- Exploration and Production Company, PetroQuest Energy plans to drill a new horizontal well on its Sabine royalty lease in Panola. You know, Josh, I'm glad you brought that up because I've heard I heard this this past week several people talking about the Haynesville and they keep saying that Haynesville is, you know, not getting the the coverage it should. So it'd be interesting to see um, if Sergio keeps putting out these kind of content for us, which we appreciate, Sergio, um, where the Haynesville ultimately ultimately lands. Because uh, I've heard several people this past week and then a couple weeks ago talking about the the Haynesville and that it's really supposed to be picking up. So. Well, uh, there's one thing to indicate that we're going to hit it in the roundup here shortly, but uh, the Haynesville is going to come up again here, here in just a few minutes. Um, so, Ryan, I like to keep up with technology stuff and also look at uh, environmental 
uh, from the environmental side, see what's going on, what the discussions are like, what people are doing for their reputation to appear green. Uh, and not necessarily appear green, but to trying to trying to be environmentally uh, responsible. So I just like to see what's going on, you know, whether I agree or disagree with it. One of the articles that came out uh, June 7th uh, was the world's first zero-carbon oil field could be coming to Texas. So I was pretty skeptical when I started reading it. Uh, it's got some interesting stuff, to say the least, but uh, Oxy is trying to create a um, something that can filter the CO2 out of the atmosphere, take that CO2, inject it, and use it to produce oil so that they can create a neutral scenario. So um, it's a pretty cool article, uh, lots of stuff in there, but that's basically the gist of what the article covers. You know, I'm just not sure about number one. How are they gonna How are they gonna filter out enough CO2 to inject it in the wells? And uh, and two, will all those processes use CO2? Uh, so, mm-hmm. not sure how how uh, how they're gonna do it or if they're gonna be able to accomplish it. But they're working on it, and uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, and it kind of tags on our story from a second ago is that they're gonna pump something, a pump of gas into the ground to help. You know, oil production. So we we've seen that just in this show alone that there's obviously um some potential for that. But I'm like you. It's you know, um, you know, if you're going to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere to put it back into the ground. And the other thing I don't know is, and this is you know just purely my ignorance is, um, you know, pulling it out of the air versus it being produced. You know, it's carbon dioxide, but is there is there levels or like with oil? We got a story a minute about the grades. Is there grades of production? Is something a little heavier? Is it all the same? Um, you know, I'm a simpleton, Josh. When I came up in school, we were told that you know plants needed carbon dioxide to to live, and mm-hmm. so um, I I know now that the the big narrative is carbon dioxide is the worst thing in the world, but um, and so I don't I don't fully understand all that. When you pull it out of the air, are they filtering it? So to me, it's I'm not a carbon dioxide expert. It's CO2. I get that. But is there is there anything distinguishably different between what they're pulling out of the air and what's being put up from the drilling rigs? And that's a, I mean, it might be a, a very silly question in some regards, but um, to me, it would seem to be something that, 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 that I'm curious about. So if we got any CO2 experts or Josh, you might know the answer to that question. I don't, I don't fully understand that because it's, um, um, it seems that there could be some, some some differences, but but maybe not. I mean, you know, when, just to make it a little bit more clear, when, when we're talking, we produce CO two. Is that the same exact level of density or, or whatever the right term is as that's being produced from these oil rigs? Does that make Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it a different kind? Is, you know, is it a more dangerous kind that comes out of the oil wells and comes out of a out of the structure's mouth or, <laughs> or or what? So uh, yeah, and that's the presupposition of the article, right, Ryan? Is that the CO two is bad? We need to get it out of the atmosphere. Uh, mm-hmm. It causes, you know, the greenhouse effect and the warming effect. Uh, but you know, that's that's something that is debatable. You know, it as CO two piles up, do we know that it creates higher temperatures? You know, so if you get say you have ten percent CO two in the atmosphere and it goes to twelve, how how much does that affect? And that's that's questions that that I have about how the effect of CO two as it builds up, and plus, you know, like you mentioned, the plants and animals, or not animals, but the plants use it. So, not sure on on the front of how effective it is to remove it to begin with. You know, that's that's definitely. With that being uh, said, with that being said, if it's profitable for Oxy to do this, then 
then, and it helps her increase, just like with the natural gas stuff, if, if it's a profitable venture, then we don't fundamentally have any objection. We're not objecting on the grounds of doing it. It's just, it just, it just seems weird um, on some level that me talking is the same result of a, of a, of a, a well being drilled and, and the, the same CO2. And maybe it is. I am CO2 illiterate. I'll be happy to admit that. So if you've got a listener who's into that stuff, you know, shoot us an email or go to the website, textualguestpodcast.com, let us know, because it's just it's just a weird dynamic to think about, you know. Uh, we had David Blackman on one time. I think he said it was goat farts or like the number one CO2 emitter or something something like that. So, goat or maybe, maybe that's methane. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Well, uh, you know, an article came out uh, from Reuters that was talking about the light crude that's being produced in the Permian. We've covered this story in general uh several times over the last year but it seems like this is becoming a, becoming a bigger and bigger issue uh the it oil is very light we don't have refineries here that can handle this light crude we're more accustomed to the darker crude um you know ryan the, the obvious question for me is there's a lot of money to be had it seems for someone to build a refinery that can handle this lighter crude in the, in the states with the Permian Basin being such a you know a dynamic basin you know, mm-hmm. for the next several years, I'm sure. Yeah, this is a very it's it's one of those debates to, for me that it's it's really hard to understand exactly where the truth lies. As you mentioned, we talked about this, and I'll kind of reiterate some of the things that I've been told from people. Um, so I know some folks who work for international oil companies overseas um, that primarily deal with the heavier um, crudes, as you're talking about. And, and they they essentially say that our oil is not oil. That we it, be, it would be like saying that we have uh, you have an alcoholic drink without the alcohol. And so they're saying that the kind of oil we have is oil. We call it oil, but it's not really oil. Now I'm not saying that. That's their, that's their theory. Um, and they've said for a while that there's going to be a glut of you know our lighter crudes that are going to kind of cause problems with the refining capacities. And we talk about that. The the question that you're raising is a little bit different. You're saying well. If you have a refinery for a heavier crude, um, and it was built for a heavier crude, could you then build a refinery for a lighter crude? Um, and, and I've asked that question to people, and the answer usually is no. And then I will say, well, why is not? Why is that the case? Because it could simply be where the in, the research and development and stuff like this has been based around the certain types of blends that we've historically used. Um, and so, therefore, we have refineries that are built and processes that are built for this. And because we didn't have access to all this light crude up until over here recently, we haven't really focused on how to take this and run it through its own process. When I ask that question, I don't really get a clear answer. I'm not saying there's not a clear answer out there. I'm just saying I have not been able to have anybody explain to me whether or not it's possible um, to increase the global percentage of our type of oil that's out there. So I, I get torn on this because... We had on someone on Energy Week podcast, if you go back, and maybe Nate can link to it in the show notes a few weeks ago, and he, he said in, uh, when IMO 2020 hits that the, the demand for our light crude oil will, will be increased because of those regulations. So if that's true, also we have the trade war with China going on right now. And so you go, well, some people that I've talked to theorize that China really doesn't need our light, our light oil anymore, and so that's really their reasoning. They're, they're using the trade war, but they really don't need it. And some people fully believe that they do need it, and once the trade war is over, they'll start to buy it. So it's, I, I don't mean to sound wishy-washy. It's just, again, one of these articles where I hate to take a hard stance because 
really smart people that you can you know and you respect have a varying a wide range of opinions on what's actually going on. It's something to monitor for sure, and it's something to keep in the back of our head. If they are right that really the light the light crude oil only has a small spot in the marketplace, um, then that could be very bad for the oil and gas industry in the United States long term. Um, I'm not. I don't think that's the case. I think that um, ultimately they're going to find more ways, just like with, you know, we talk about entrepreneurial and things work, don't work. I think they're going to spend time, energy, money um, to figure out how to blend this differently, either expand, retool, refinery. Um, I, I think all that's going to happen. And the reason I'll leave it with this, Josh, the reason I believe that is because we just saw Oxy and Chevron bid over Anadarko. We've seen Exxon make a big moves. We've seen ConocoPhillips. We see all the big boys who have the money to spend on R&D going into the Permian. They can read this Reuters article just like we can. And so they're not being caught off guard by that. So I think there are some concerns about how it works now, but I also think that there's probably hundreds of millions of dollars being spent or have been spent to figure out how to solve this. We just haven't gotten to that point yet. Does that kind of make sense? It does. It does. And just to um, follow up on uh, on the article, they have a, a little section here called a three-tiered system. So mm-hmm. uh, something pretty interesting it says, so far, there are actively traded markets for two distinct grades, West Texas Intermediate and West Texas Light. They're saying that in the Permian, they're producing something that's so light, they're considering calling it a condensate, a type of oil that generally requires blending with very heavy crude. So there, it's like a, it's lighter than, than the, the lighter light. Lighter than what we <laughs> lighter yes. than the light. It's, it's like taking a light beer. And making that light, you know? <laughs> right. Taking a light beer and pouring water in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, that was something that I thought was pretty interesting, so they're dealing with it. But like you said, Ryan, here's here's the, the really the point that everyone should pay attention to is that the people with all the money don't see this as a big enough issue to keep them from investing. Um, and if I know if I had $100 billion on the line, I wouldn't go invest it in an area if I thought the oil couldn't be processed. Right. And I would check that out to make sure that it could be, you know. Right. So. And, and there's a couple of things. It doesn't mean that we're saying that they're right. Obviously, these companies can make mistakes, but they are putting their money where their mouth is. And that, and that's a lot That's a lot easier than pundits or guys like me and you sitting around talking. We're not putting any money where our mouth is. We're just talking about it. But we're saying they are doing that. It doesn't mean they could be right. They could be ultimately proved wrong. But you can reasonably believe that that they are going to, that, they, that you can reasonably believe that they believe it because of how they're acting. Um, the other thing is, it doesn't mean that they're going to solve the problem quickly. This could take five to ten years to work itself out. The, we've talked about this on the show before. The big companies have the ability to withstand market downturns a lot better than just your you know your pioneer because they can pipe it. I mean, they can, they can drill for it, they can move it, and they can refine it. So they have three different business models that they can run, upstream, midstream, and downstream. Um, so it doesn't mean that even if they are right, that they're going to have this problem resolved, uh, by the end of 2020, it could be 2022, 2023, 2024. Um, these companies are thinking a lot more long-term, uh, on some regards than, you know, a small wildcatter who's out there trying to get, uh, you know, uh, his results today. So a couple things just to balance it out there, but yeah, I do agree with you. They're putting money where their mouth is. Doesn't mean they're right, but th- that does give you a reasonable amount of certainty. It's not just one either. It's a bunch of them. If it was just one big company going in and all the other majors were staying out, that I think would be uh, a sign for worry as well because you'd be going, well, maybe they're not right. Well, we've been talking about uh, pipelines a few times already this morning. Uh, Corpus could be a main endpoint for Permian production. That's titled an article. Um, they talked to Crestwood 
uh, Equity Partners, and it was a heart energy conference that took place uh, at Horseshoe last week. And they were talking about the congestion at the Houston Ship Channel and why certain companies, Crestwood being one, are starting to target more infrastructure in Corpus uh, to start sending their pipelines down there to, to, to transport oil from the Permian. So Houston Ship Channel, they say, is very congested, and Port of Corpus Christi is an area of interest where they're, they're seeing um, several different companies starting to target that area. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things I thought about, Josh, when we read this, when I was reading through this article is, um, you know, we had the eminent domain debate a while back. And if you kind of read this article, really, they're saying that there's really two spots right now they can go to, Houston or Corpus. And we kind of go back to that eminent domain, and we and you kind of express our views if you go back and uh, you can listen on that. But um, briefly here is that if you're a producer right now and you're looking to get your oil out of the country, you're really limited to, to Houston or, or, or Corpus. Now, there's a lot of land there, but... But practically, it becomes a lot smaller of a window than you might think of if you're going all the way from Midland with Big Pipe to Houston or to Corpus. So I, I was kind of reminded of that, that one of the things that we articulated was it's not a true free market in the sense of you just can't take this product wherever you want to because of government reg regulation. Um, we want the poor Corpus to do well, but this is kind of an example of, hey, um, how does this think tie into our eminent domain thinking? Because... You got people. You've got people who are saying that they can't go to Houston because it's overcrowded. Well, then they got to go to Corpus. Well, landowners theoretically um, could use this information to leverage against them to then stop that. And so, um, I'm not saying it changes anything in my opinion. It's just, it's just sitting looking at practicalities and implications of this down the road. Yeah. Well, it's definitely gonna be something to to keep an eye on. It makes me it makes me wonder. Um... I saw, I meant to put this in an article, Ryan. I saw this when we were in Midland, just talking about it now, just brought it back to my memory. But they approved, they were actually started working on, I think, dredging the um, the ship channel. Mm -hmm. um, I saw I saw someone post it, maybe it was Sergio, but they had actually not only approved it, is that, I don't know if any of our listeners remember, but we went through several approvals where they, government approved the project, a certain amount of money was approved to to go to them, and then they approved the release of the money. It was like, Several stages, but I think they actually started working on it like last week. Um, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, don't quote me on that, but I, I saw something on that. So I need to, yeah. as, as a mental note, we need to go uh, keep up with that as well. And uh, Ryan, we mentioned the Haynesville is going to come up in the roundup. So the Texas Roundup, uh, Dallas Cowboys owner of, he's also owner of Comstock Resources. They're buying a company, Covey Park, for $2.2 billion. Uh, Kobe Park, we we spoke with uh, some folks about that at one point. Right? Well, they were they were doing some work, um, but uh, yeah, so they're they're going to be acquired by Comstock Resources. They operate in the Haynesville, and so uh, we've kind of had speculation that maybe the Haynesville is going to start making a, a a little comeback this year. So uh, good to see some activity starting to brew back up in the area. Yep, and if they want to round that 2.2 up to 2.3, the Texas Long Guys podcast is for sale. It is for it sale. Is. So just just a slight rounding error, and we can get that deal done. Yep, get the ear of the president. and uh, Yeah, we'll probably bring on Serge. We, we could probably afford Sergio Chapa at that point to bring him on, and he could you know have Rex Social come on from time to time. Hmm. <laughs> well, Ryan, I think, uh, I think that wraps us up for today, man. Is there anything else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign up for the fishing trip. 
TextOneGuysPodcast.com slash fishing. Thank our sponsor again, which is Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. Go to BaffinBayRodandGun.com. Uh, let them know we sent you. The link will be in the show notes. Um, we are considering um, you know, maybe a, a deal down in Houston in a few months. And, Josh, we haven't really talked about this, but our schedule is kind of up in the air right now. I know we're waiting uh, the next Shelton baby, so we um, we are scheduled to record every week um till i guess labor day but depending on uh when josh's baby number five gets here we might miss a week so if you don't hear us on the air we um it's because baby shelter number five made its uh arrival but um other than that we should be here all right josh well it was good again to go and hang out the listeners last wednesday thank you so much for coming out and until next time keep climbing